Father, we thank you for humor and peace and joy. Um, thank you for the new things that you're bringing us into that's about cultivating a deep surrender and trust and soul focus in you, on you, with you, and for you. Father, help us move today to greater surrender to you. Not just another church service. Not just another message that we forget about when we leave. But may your transforming power be here. Open up our ears and our minds and our hearts, Father. And give us feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Did any of the um, little kids back in the day have gigapets? I bet Aubrey had a gigapet. Aubrey, did you have a gigapet? Whatever. You know what it is, though, don't you? Oh, what? Look at her. We got a liar in here today. Look at her blushing right now. Well, um, I keep on having to carry um, this little thing around. And Krista kind of fell for it the other day. So I have my heart monitor on. So they have a 30-day heart monitor. But for all you Gigapet players, I have Tetris on here. I have Gigapet. So every four, every four hours, I get to get on here and feed my pe uh, pet cat. Her name is Sally. And then it'll check my heart while I'm at it. So... Uh, I didn't choose a cat, Macy. It chose the cat for me. So um, if you see weird stuff coming out of my shirt, um, just know it's my pet, Sally. All right. So we are in um, John chapter 2 this week, and um, we're going to keep on chugging along moment by... Oh, Karenina, yeah. Kids, blessings to you. I thought they wanted to be mature today and sit in here and learn about John. I saw them all. I saw all those pretty faces. Aubrey, they're giving away gigapets today. All right. So we are in John chapter 2 this week, and um, section by section, some weeks we might do a full chapter, other weeks it might just be a few verses, as you've experienced. Um, I don't see any reason to rush through it, do you? We're getting into Scripture, we're learning about Scripture, and if each week we can make sure that the Scriptures are God's Word and they apply to our lives, then there's no rush to get through it. Um, if you want to rush through the Bible, then join our Bible reading plan, and uh, you can read with us every day to get through it. And we're wrapping up on that. So how many of you guys are participating in that still, Bible reading plan? All right, the good news is this, is we're going to start another one in January. And we might not do chronological, we might just do um, something different. So um, be looking out for that as well. John chapter 2, verse 1 should be on the screen. If not, you have your Bibles. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So, a lot of people use this as reasons to drink. Other people don't understand it, and then there's arguments, well, well, Jesus this and Mary this, we're not going to go there today. So Jesus' mother was at a wedding, and Jesus and his disciples were there as well. It appears as though it was a wedding of someone that Mary, Mary knew, maybe some kind of family member, maybe a friend, uh, maybe an acquaintance, maybe someone on Facebook, who knows? She was invited. The celebration is going on, as we see, and they run out of wine, which, historically speaking, would have shown poorly on the groom and his family, um, as it appears that it was customary for them to provide all the reception needs. So, um, so what does Mary do? 
She pulls Jesus off to the side and she states her case. They have no more wine, so you better do something about it. Right? You better do something about it. Now that's an interesting request. See, of all the requests that we would think that people make, why would we think that the mother of Jesus Christ would ask for wine? Now, um, to this point, Jesus hasn't performed any miracles. Zero. Not one miracle his whole life. Yet Mary believed that God was um, sorry, that Jesus was who God said he was. Mary believed that. Why else would she ask someone who's never performed a miracle to perform a miracle now unless she believed God's word over that man's life? 30 years, right? 30 years of no miracles. 30 years of nothing other than the promise that she would bear the Savior of the world. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? How many of us lose faith when God doesn't answer a prayer in a week or in three days? Anyone ever been there? How many of us have questioned God's existence because we haven't seen him move powerfully? 30 years has gone by having seen no miracle, yet Mary still believed. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? So my question to you is this, is do you believe God's word over your life? And you're like, well, what's God's word over my life? I don't know what God's word is over my life. I would say this, those who seek God will find him when they seek him with their whole heart. Maybe we haven't discovered God's word over our own life that we can cling to and hold on to because we haven't sought him with our whole heart. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Go back to sleep. <laughs> and then once you wake up again, get on Facebook, turn on the radio, shower with music. I wonder how much different our life would look if there was truly this seeking him with our whole heart. So do you believe God's word over your life? And if you don't know God's word over your life, are you willing to give up everything to discover what that is? See, what we usually get caught up in is, well, after the football game, I'll spend some time with him. Or once my family leaves, I'll spend some time with him. Or after I mow the grass, or you know what? While I'm mowing the grass, I'll spend time with him. And then you start mowing the grass, and then you start looking at people walking past you, or you get caught up with whatever's going on in the headphones. Or after I feed my gigapet, I'll spend some time with God. And then your day generally went well, and then you forget about spending time with God, and then time goes by, and you didn't spend time with him, and then you don't know his word over your life. See, one of the weird words, um, I don't know if it's true, I believe it's true. I remember I was sitting over there one day, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, Pastor Lyndon was preaching, and while he was preaching about Peter, when, when he talked about the death that Peter would die, right? The death that Peter would die for Christ, I felt like the Holy Spirit hit me. Just whoosh, hit me. Like tangibly, I felt the presence of God hit me. And I felt like I heard the voice of God say, you will live a long life and you will die because of your faith. Now, I share that. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm telling you, telling you what I felt like he said. So because of that word in my life, when I have to carry my heart monitor around, 
when I have to go to the ER, when my body goes numb, when all of those things happen, guess what I say? This is just something that's slowing me down and sidelining me because I feel like God's word over my life is that I will live a long life and I will die for my faith. Now, that could be scary too, right? Because then you find those moments like, well, I'm not gonna die because of a heart attack, I'm gonna die for my faith, so what could that look like? Because I believe in Hebrews 13, what ends up happening is people who are following Christ get sawed in half. That wasn't in my notes. Not in my notes. Go find it, Hebrews 13. So you wanna be a Christian, right? You're a believer. Are you willing to get sawed in half? We're gonna grow the church today, aren't we? So God's word over your life that you cling to doesn't always mean that it's gonna be a a happy physical ending for your life. But what we want to become is people who are solely devoted to Christ. So get to know God's word over your life. Utmost importance, isn't it? Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him that he died and resurrected from the grave. That he's the only way to heaven. And then say, what do you ask of me? And I've said this before. God's mission for your life is actually really clear in the Bible. Now, the way that that is um, walked out is completely different. We might have a nurse. We might have a pastor. We might have a social worker. We might have a tech guy who talked to everyone around the world. We might have teachers. We might have stay-at-home moms. We might have landscapers, musicians, plumbers, plumbers, (laughs) electricians. Yes, Um, what else do we have in here? (laughs) Truck drivers. So look, Honda workers, that, those are things that we will do, but God's purpose for our life is found in the scriptures, to believe in him and then make disciples. What we do and how we do that, God's sending us to different places. God's sending people's arms to be arm deep in someone's pipes with poop. And then they get flushed on. And then that leads the poopy arm to a conversation about Christ. He can wash you clean. Right? All right. So... Mary believed God, uh, who God said Jesus was, resulting in her knowing that he could do something in this situation. She believed him. So Jesus can do something. So how does Jesus respond to Mary's request? He says, woman. Woman. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has yet, sorry, my hour has not yet come. Now, how many of the ladies in here like to be called woman? Krista does. All right. In our culture, the word woman doesn't seem to be a nice thing. And I can't ever imagine thinking growing up ever calling my mom woman. Did I ever do that woman? The term woman used here is simply like calling someone ma'am. What we like to do within our nature is um, we as humans look to the vicious sides or what appears to be the angry sides of Jesus because we want an excuse so that we can be angry and point a finger at someone else. So, So this scripture within itself has helped uh, create a picture or people have extended the picture of what they want Jesus to look like so that you can be mean to other people or disrespectful. So the term woman here is not Jesus being disrespectful. It's actually him being polite. 
It wasn't disrespectful or a rebuke. Actually, Jesus addresses his mother with the same term when he's dying on the cross. We'll get to it later in John chapter 19, but I'll just read it to you real quick. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Now, why would a dude hanging on the cross be disrespectful to his mom? He wasn't. It was him saying something very genuine, ma'am, mother, woman. So quit looking to make Jesus into something that he wasn't. Amen? All right. So why would Jesus call Mary woman? It's possible not only was he just using a typical term during the day, but it's also possible that he was making sure that Mary understood that he was set apart from her even though she was his mother. Um, she was someone who needed a savior. Some might not believe this, but Mary still needs a savior. Can I get a witness? Mary still needed a savior. Now, I say that then to say Jesus didn't sin. He wasn't rebellious. He honored those above him until they asked him to sin. Let's continue on. So if you're taking notes, one of the points would be this, is Jesus didn't come to please mankind. We're going to stay in verse 4 for a little bit. So next section that's underlined is, why did you involve me? Jesus replied. Why did you involve me in this? Why? Why did you do that? How many of you guys get phone calls each week where you sit on the other side of it and you're just like, why did you involve me in this? Like, what's the point? I don't want to say half of my phone calls, but a lot of my phone calls are like, why did you involve me in this? And then... Um, you let them get about three minutes out and you're just like, I don't have time for this, I'm sorry. This says, you need to go talk to that person. I'm out, love you, but why did you involve me in this? And then sometimes people involve stuff with Macy or me or other church leaders and then that means I'm calling CPS. So realize if you call me, then it's gonna result in a phone call, right? So why did you involve me in this? Um... Jesus is asking Mary, why did you involve me in this? Because Jesus had one agenda. That's it. To accomplish the Father's will. It was his sole focus. John 4, here in a couple months when we get to it, verse 34. My food, set, uh, my food Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food, my supply, my energy, the thing that sustains me, the thing that gives me life, Jesus is saying, is to what? To do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. How many live off the food of Jesus today, the way, the way that he said it here? How many of us live off the food of the Father? My sole focus my sole focus is to finish his work. John 17, 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So when Jesus is asking Mary, why do you involve me in this? He's simply saying like, this has nothing to do with what my purpose is. My purpose, my sole purpose is to bring honor to the Father, honor to Jesus. And I think we should ask ourselves that question this week, rhetorically even speaking right now, how many things am I involved in that have nothing to do with the Father? I want to emulate Jesus. I want to um, try to live a life surrendered and loving to the Father the way that Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to obey mankind, but he came to obey the Father. 
Jesus didn't come to please man. He came to save that which was lost. He came to die on the cross for you and I, and that was his focus. <laughs> Imagine if Jesus came to make us happy. What would he have done? See, if, if Jesus um, would have come to please mankind, what would things look like? Well, he would have us all completely overfed, right? He would have us all healed of every disease. No one would die and be in heaven. He would answer Michigan prayers, and they might win, or the games would always end in a tie. Because look, I mean, seriously, I see it... Um, I might have even in my youth prayed one of those prayers, God let us win today. Why do you think God's ever gonna answer that prayer? Because you pray that prayer and you don't think someone on the other team's praying that same prayer? God's not gonna answer that prayer. So if God came to serve us, what would we ever accomplish? And then, some of us would say, God, I just wish that person would be dead because you're so mad at them because they cut you off. Well, then is God going to kill them? No, because the grandma was praying for that person because Jesus came to serve us and not be served. See, we often have this tendency to think that. He would have prevented any kind of calamity. He would have overthrown Rome. I mean, who knows what the world would look like if he came to please us. Amen. There is a tendency within our thoughts to think that Jesus came to serve us. And if Jesus came and did everything we wanted, it would likely be resulting in all of us going to hell. Why? Because we didn't have a sacrifice for our sin. I thank God that many of my prayers go unanswered. Jesus didn't come to please us. Jesus came to die for us, making a way for us to go to heaven. Therefore, if Jesus' agenda was to please the Father until death, our agenda should be to please the Father until death. Sometimes we mess this up, though, don't we? There's this idea that um, we have to be miserable to live a Christian life. Anyone ever feel that way? The things that Pastor Joey preaches, he makes me feel like I have to be miserable to be a Christian. Anyone ever think that? Some of you, okay. I've talked to a lot of people who feel like they always have to put on sackcloths and walk around and have a miserable life when they follow Jesus. And I just disagree with that. Jesus wasn't a miserable human being. You realize that? Jesus experienced and walked out and lived out the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So was Jesus miserable when he walked out the fruits of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance, gentleness, self-control. Jesus lived a life that was full. Quit making Jesus into some wimpy coward that's always upset and discontent with life. Jesus was at peace because the presence of God lived in him. He could be happy because the presence of God lived in him. He could have joy and have fun and laugh and let go because the presence of God was living in him. Now, I say that to say this. Does that mean that Jesus didn't have suffering and he wasn't persecuted and he didn't have moments? Of course he had moments, but guess what? When Jesus was persecuted, scripture also says this. 
when you are weak, who is strong? Christ is. How about this? God is close to the brokenhearted. So even when the true born-again Christian experiences hard times, the fruits of the Spirit can still be present. So you say, why are you bringing that up? Well, I'm bringing that up because um, we just paint this picture of the Christian life and following Jesus as being horrible. That doing the will of the Father is a miserable life. And I just disagree with that. You can have a sole focus on God and still have peace, joy, love, forbearance, self-control, right? We, I mean, we do. We have a tendency to think when, when I'm preaching through James, I'm like, you're going to have suffering. Then you walk out and you're just like, oh, my life's going to suck forever if I follow Jesus. Or, or I don't want to knock on someone's door or I don't want to give up $20 because my life will suck after that and it's really hard. Mm-mm. We get to experience the fullness of Christ. We should be able to solely serve Jesus and not the world with love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But that doesn't mean we won't suffer. Let's continue. Verse four still. My hour has not yet come. Maybe put, your sho- uh, put yourself in Mary's shoes one more time. People already thought that she was a flake. Why? Because she was... Uh, she conceived Jesus of virgin birth or of, by God. She conceived Jesus by God. So, of course, everyone around her is like, yeah, you're a flake. You're weird. Like, we don't trust you. No way. You just did something with Joseph, and now you're lying about it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, God did it. They'd hit you with this. That's not how science works. We got to believe science, Mary. Well, believers don't live by sight, do we? We live by faith. Maybe that'll be the four-minute church this week, and it'll just be 30 seconds. The world would have said science. God says faith. Either way... People already thought she was flake. With some of my own hypothesis here, I can't prove it nor deny it within the scripture. I wonder if um, the flesh in Mary could have been wanting to prove to people that Jesus was who he said he was. Which could have helped her case to not be so weird. Right? It could have validated her. Maybe that's where she was. Jesus, turn this water into wine so that then you'll validate me. Anyone ever tried to be validated? Or she possibly could have seen this moment as an opportunity to propel Jesus into his rightful throne. Moms are always trying to look out for their kids, aren't they? Always trying to propel them into what's next or best for them. So either she's going to get validated, and if she's not going to get validated, well, let's at least validate Jesus and put him in position to be an authority and people to discover him, to be seen, to be known. But what did Jesus say? But Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. Now, what hour is he referencing? It's his hour of glorification. When he dies on the cross and he resurrects from the grave for you and I. This is the highest point ever in human history. You think about that? See, 
we hit the pinnacle. And the pinnacle was 2,000 years ago when Jesus died and resurrected. Everything else in human history pales in comparison to what the Son has done. The birth, it was there that we're going to celebrate, that we are celebrating over the next several weeks. And then the resurrection, the highest point. Now, um, his hour has yet not come. Clearly, Mary had a different idea of what his hour should look like. Um, we all probably have different ideas of what our hour should look like as well. Mary wanted it right now. She wanted Jesus' hour to come right now. And that's what I ask, is how many of us have wanted Jesus' hour to come in someone's life probably before it was time. God, we want your power to come and heal this person. God, we need your resources to be released right now. God, emotionally, we need you right now. God, there's no more wine. Show up. That's what Mary was saying. The party's happiness, the people's happiness is not going to be here anymore if you don't show up. She wanted it now, but you know what she also did? She limited the purpose of Jesus. Mary was limiting the purpose by just saying, hey, all that I want you to do is this, is just turn water into wine. That's a limited purpose. Often what we do is we limit the power of God for the purpose of God, therefore limiting all that he wants to do. Does that make sense? Or is it just cleared my head? Okay, just cleared my head. <laughs> Mary limited Jesus by simply saying, turn water into wine. So you could ask Jesus one thing at a party full of people who are likely getting drunk, possibly getting drunk, and the one thing you want to ask him for is to turn water into wine? That's limiting God's purpose, is it not? See, her focus in this moment might appear to not be on saving people, but it might be on pleasing people. And what Jesus is making clear to us is he doesn't come to please people. He comes to do the purpose of the Father. Even the closest people to Jesus are going to miss something about who he is. Mary missed it, I think, in this moment. She missed it a little bit. Mary missed because she put her agenda in the mix, in the mix, not the Father's. So Jesus' response to Mary is explained in three misunderstandings. First, Jesus' glory would come at the price of his death and resurrection, not as a result of Jesus having power shows. That's hard, isn't it? Our walk as Christians is not about power shows. Though we carry power as believers, that's not what it's about. Number two, or next, Jesus' glory would come from God, not from people. And finally, Jesus' glory doesn't take place on human timetables, but the Father's. It's possible Mary didn't fully understand what Jesus was saying when he said, my hour has yet not come. But I do believe she got the message pretty loud and clear that he knows his purpose and that is to do the will of the Father. Amen? Verse five. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone um, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out 
and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the rest of the story shares with us several things. Verses 6 through 11. It is important. Number one is Jesus had miracle working power. This is the first time that he's revealed that. So imagine if we have a prayer, just prayer response. And you come up here and we start praying for you, just falling out in the spirit. Dave comes out, falls out in the spirit. Next Dave comes out. Dave the plumber comes up, falls out in the spirit. Macy comes up, falls out in the spirit. Alan comes up, falls out in the spirit. Stu comes up, falls out in the spirit. Trucker Dave comes up, falls out in the spirit. Any more Daves in here want to fall out in the spirit? <laughs> fall out in the spirit. You'd be like, what is going on? Miracle and the power of God will be present and doing a work in all those who fall out in the spirit. The first miracle that Jesus performed, water into wine, is proving Revealing that he is who he says he is. How many of you have ever tried to turn water into wine? Now, what about coffee into wine? Let's do it right now. Who's got, a, who's got, a, who's got water and who's got coffee in here? Just, just let me see it. No one's got water or coffee in here. All right, we, we got some. Let's try our hardest to turn that into wine real quick. <laughs> well, I want wine. Let's try it. I'm serious. Someone turn their water into wine right now. Check your cups. Still bad coffee. You bring it from home. You can't. You didn't. Why not? Because Jesus is set apart. Right? You're not him. You don't possess what he possesses. Any power that you have came from him first. Independently, we can do nothing. Jesus is set apart. And we are in need of him. Without touching the water, without doing anything other than using his power, Jesus transformed water into wine. Maybe some don't believe it. Maybe some people want to deny it. But what you can't deny is the transforming power of what Jesus does in one's life. And we're getting ready to see that transforming power. See, again, I've shared some miracles that Macy and I have seen. We've been in meetings where we have seen miracles and then we don't even believe them. We've seen it happen right in front of our eyes. And we say, oh, that didn't happen. Oh, that didn't happen. No, nope. we were just caught up in the holy, holy moment. You keep on saying if you saw a miracle, you would believe. No, it's a process. But you know what you can't deny? You know what I can't deny? Is I can't deny who I used to be and what God is making me now. And you know what other people can't deny is who you used to be and who God is making you now. So you might deny the miracle of legs growing or backs healing or cancer healed or resources given. You might deny that. 
but you can't deny the transformation of a person. So, Jesus has that miracle working power. The next thing that the scripture reveals to us is Jesus can transform people. Jesus can tra transform you and I. Verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was first of the signs, underlined, through which he revealed his glory, underlined, and his disciples believed in him, underlined. I highlighted those three important sections. Signs revealed his glory and believed in him. I'll say this, it's rarely the sign within itself that causes one to believe. Anyone in here ever seen the power of God work in a powerful way, like a, a sign or a wonder? Raise your hand. Participating church. Cool. Doesn't make you any lesser anymore if you have or haven't. Um, when we wrapped up last week's chapter, and remember when John wrote um, his letter, there weren't chapters and verses. So it's just run on from what we call chapter one and chapter two. But at the latter half of chapter one, John and his disciples found what they were looking for, didn't they? We learned that last week, Jesus. Um, and what I wanna talk about here is we see signs, then his glory revealed, and then we believe in him. There, there's a process. So um, they found what they were looking for, Jesus. But just because they found him and followed him didn't mean that they believed in him or put their faith in him. Right? There's a lot of people who come to church around the world. And just because you go to church and just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you believe in a God doesn't mean that you're saved. I'm gonna go ahead and share it again. Um, shared it. Um, there could be an online audience who needs to hear this. Um, worldwide ministry, Mark. Global. Huge. Um, I've gone to an Ohio State football game. I have an Ohio State hat. I have some Ohio State t-shirts. So I've attended their service, haven't I? I've given to the organization. So I, I, I bought the t-shirt, so I gave money. And guess what? I know who their coach is. You know who their coach is? It's Ryan Day. And he's got coronavirus. So I know, I know the coach. I've given to the organization. And I can even be a regular attender. And if I can't make it to the service, I can watch online. Come on, somebody. So I'm always there. But you better believe if I tried to go to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, open up the gate, and get in the door, guess what they'd say? I don't know you. What do you mean? I give to your organization. I watch you every week online. I've been to a service. What do you mean you don't know me? I know who Ryan Day is. Let me go get him. And Ryan Day comes out and he says, I don't know you, nor have I ever known you. Away from me. See, there's many people who believe in God, who fill the seats or the pews or their online services each week, but God doesn't know them. Isn't that scary? Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, and then Matthew 7, verse 21. That life or that verse transformed, those verses, that chapter transformed my life. 
So you say, will you bring it back? Why are you sharing that story? Number one, because I'm following the Spirit. Number two, I'm going to try to bring it back right here. Just because they found Jesus and just because they followed him last week, they found what they were looking for, and now that they found what they're looking for, they were willing to follow him, but just because they were in his presence following him didn't mean that they were saved. Anyone questioning whether they're following Jesus correctly today? Because as I preach, I am. And I encourage you to keep on asking yourself that question. So what needed to happen? The process needed to happen. The process. So, um, look at the unique process of someone's faith that we have observed from the past two weeks of our scripture. So the disciples. Guess what the disciples did? They learned about the Messiah to come through John the Baptist. Right? John the Baptist is preaching, telling people to repent and he's baptizing them. But all of his teachings were what? Leading to the Messiah to come. And then when the Messiah came, guess what he did? He said, I relinquish my authority, go to him. He's greater than I. So they learned about it. Then after they learned about it, they found him. He shows up. They found what they were desperately searching for within but just because you found it didn't mean that they were saved. Then what did they do after they found him? They endorsed Jesus to a family member, Andrew to his brother. So they were so excited about what they found, they were willing to endorse it. Then they endorsed Jesus to a friend. Philip um, did that. Then endorsed Jesus as the son of God. Nathaniel, this is all last week, then they follow Jesus, leaving all else behind. Then, what happens here in this story today is it goes from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge when they see Jesus prove who he said he was. See, one of the things that I always taught in every sport is be around the ball. Good things always happen when you're around the ball, no matter what. So if, if I'm playing shortstop and the ball's hit to second base, you better believe I'm going to go run over to second base because that ball could hit the dude in the head and I can make a play. If I'm on the football field and I'm on defense, I'm going to run to the ball because even though I'm not the closest person, that dude could get smacked, he could fumble, and I get a scoop and score. Got to be around the ball. Anyone else ever been coached that? Okay, thank you, David. Another David. What was I, um, oh, down in the spirit. We got the other Dave in here. Why didn't you raise your hand earlier? He's like, whatever. I'm just, huh? I thought you picked me up the first day. I might have. I probably did. So, be around the ball. So what's happening here is the disciples who were also invited, they're around the ball. And being around the ball allowed them to experience the miracle that Jesus was getting ready to perform. And what that allowed for them to see and experience is because they're around Jesus, their head knowledge of this Messiah to come was now able to have heart knowledge because they were in the right spot. How many times do we miss out on Jesus because we're not where we're supposed to be? Because we're not around the ball. So when the church is having an outreach event, if you want to see the power of God at work, you want to see uh, people crying and people repenting and people giving their life to Christ, well, you could see it if you were around Jesus if you were around the ball, but staying at home and watching all my news stations and all what's going on in the world and how the world's going to hell, well, why don't I get to experience Jesus? 
because you weren't around the ball. Amen? So the disciples are around the ball right now, and their head knowledge goes to their heart. They experience God's reality. And guess what this scripture tells us? Is those experience, experiences cause us to believe. Verse 11. What, um, di- what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. So they saw a sign through which he revealed his glory. So Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You see that? A process. Be around the ball. What I'm trying to say is Jesus has the power to turn water into wine and has the power to transform people. Sometimes it's slower than we want. Anyone you're praying for right now not getting the point yet? Me too. And you know what? I even pray for myself and I'm still not getting the complete point. This is what Jesus did. He took average men, average women, and he used his works and his words to help them understand his heart and power as God. Thus resulting in them trusting him and becoming powerful witnesses with his power and for his glory. Amen. That's what I want for this church. Jesus took an average congregation in Mechanicsburg, Ohio, and he used his works and his uh, words to help us understand his heart and his power as God. Thus resulting in us trusting him and becoming powerful witnesses with his power and for his glory. What else do you want as, as a church? Jesus didn't come to please mankind. Jesus' sole purpose was to obey the Father. And there is a process to one's faith in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us be around the ball this week. Stir up in us faith and trust and boldness, the fruits of the Spirit, Father. Help us be around that ball this week. May we not just hope that the ball comes to us. That's what losing teams do. May we be around you this week in prayer, in worship, in simple conversation, in relationship with the body of Christ. May we be around you this week and may you be our sole focus. We ask that your power would manifest through this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.